Okay, so I've been um, talking about some of the things where God is shifting us in the way we see things. We have these things called paradigms. That's my long word for this morning. Paradigms, which means that we see things one way. And that's not always the same way as God sees them from his kingdom perspective. They're often the way we see them because that's what we've done all our church life. That's what we've understood. They're the models we've used. They're the models we've used for evangelism, for prayer, for meetings, for the way we see church, the way we see our responsibility as individuals. And this morning, I'm, I'm going to come on to a couple of more paradigm shifts. But, but so far, what I've looked at is I've looked at this idea of what the church is, that it's actually... A, a group of people who carry the authority of the kingdom whose job is being, to bring heaven to earth. And, and it's not about four walls of a building for two hours on a Sunday morning. It's, it's all about what we are and what we do during the week. That's, that's what Jesus said he built. And he said he was going to send and gather a people who carried the authority and the mandate of the kingdom of heaven. On, on this foundation, I'm going to build my ecclesia which is that assembly of government of the kingdom of God. And so we looked at that. And then the next week, we, we looked at the, how our model of evangelism has, has missed out a major component, which is praying for those who we are reaching. And, and that it is the power of prayer releasing the kingdom into people's lives that brings about the, the, the change to make them open to the kingdom and to hear the gospel. And so we, we've been talking about that. Now, this morning, I, I want to revisit something. I want to revisit uh, a, a story from Jesus's life that I talked about actually two, three months ago. Um, and I want to revisit the story of Zacchaeus. The, the, and what do we know about Zacchaeus? He was a very little man, and a very little man was he. <laughs> and, and he climbed a tree, yeah, that's a, yeah, everybody, people know the story of Zacchaeus. So, um, but in, in knowing the story of Zacchaeus, we, we sometimes lose the drama and the, tr and, 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 and the richness of what was happening. So let's have a look at the story again. Uh, it's Luke chapter 19, if you want to read it. Um, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. That's where Zacchaeus lived. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Everybody boo. Ooh. And he was rich. Yay! <laughs> Except he was rich because he wasn't a good man. Boo! It's going to be one of them mornings, isn't it? <laughs> And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because there's a crowd and he was a little, very little man and a very little man was he. He was short in stature, as the word puts it, short in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for day, today I'm going to stay at your house. So Zacchaeus came down from the tree, received him joyfully, but when the people saw him, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with the man who's a sinner. 
Then Zacchaeus stood and said, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So we can cheer Zacchaeus at that point. Let's give him a cheer. Yay! And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? Seek and save that which is lost. Okay. Now, my job as a... As a uh, a pastor, leader, is to equip you guys to do the works of ministry. Yeah. The other, all the other hours of the week. And so when, when we, we're teaching, what we're trying to do is show and understand the ways of the kingdom so that we can get them to operate in our life all the rest of the week. And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. They're following him around and watching the ways of the kingdom and how they work. And so he's training them to bring heaven to earth, to bring the kingdom come to pass. And so the disciples are here with them in, and, and they'll be watching what he's doing with Zacchaeus and this big crowd of people, all of which whom are trying to get a piece of Jesus. Now, let me, let me start with this. And this goes back to what I talked about two, three months ago. There is a difference between the most important need somebody has and what they feel is their need in the moment. And what we're going to see here is Jesus dealing with that. You see, the most important need of anyone have you got any water? is salvation and there's not anything we can do to redefine that because that's been defined by God he said everyone needs salvation and that's what Jesus came for so Jesus is coming to seek and save the lost right and what he encounters is somebody who has a need which doesn't yet recognize his need for salvation he has a, Zacchaeus has a felt need, and our felt needs are defined by us. The felt needs of those who don't believe in Jesus yet are defined by them. And, and when, when you're feeling something, that's the most important thing to you right now. And, and even in this room, we, we all have different needs that we're dealing with right now. Now, this, the thing is that that's okay and that's normal. But when we have such a strong uh, issue or problems or things in our life or pain or possibly happiness or whatever, all the things that we are feeling, that stops us seeing clearly the most important need, which is our salvation. And the Bible tells us that the God of this world, the enemy, Satan has used uses things to blind the minds of unbelievers. So we need what what Jesus through through what he's going to do here is showing how somebody whose mind is blinded because they have so many needs and so many issues in their life, how he opens their eyes. So this is this morning, if you forgive it, is a real eye opener. Okay, because. When we pray, 
for the felt need, so we, we ha when we meet somebody or, or we have a relationship with somebody and they have a, a real need in their life, and when we pray and expect a miracle in answer to those prayers, then we are releasing the kingdom. We're taking our authority as members of the ecclesia, members of the family of Jesus, from our position of being seated in spiritual places, and we're bringing that to earth, because we're the carriers of it. And, and we release the kingdom. And when those who don't believe see the kingdom in operation, it opens their eyes to see their real need, which is salvation. Because their felt need is out of the way. And that's something we haven't really understood in the way we go about evangelism now. We tend to hit them straight with something and, and try and get a result in five minutes. Um, whereas Jesus is showing them a, a very different way, which we talked about over the summer. If you, if you haven't heard all that series or you want a, a set of it, there are still some uh, four or five sets out on the table outside. You, you're free to take those if you haven't already got one, listen to those, those five talks, four by me, one by Joyce, that we did over the summer. So where am I going with this? Well, this is where I'm going. I want you to understand that, that the way, what, when we bring heaven to earth, when we carry the authority of the kingdom and, and we expect God to act, we're doing that on behalf of the person to meet their need. And we genuinely want to help them. So our heart has to be engaged in this towards them. That they're not a target, they're somebody who God loves. And he's asking us to love them as well. And, and we're not praying to get a result so that they become a Christian. We're praying because we love them and we want to help them. Okay, so our hearts are really important in this. Now, let me show you this from, before we come back to the Zacchaeus, let me show you this from um, Paul's life. Paul, as most of you know, is, is like my hero. You know, he, he talks in long sentences without commas and full stops. <laughs> He's my hero. <laughs> and um, towards the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 26, we find Paul uh, talking before a, a, a council of government ministers and uh, people in authority and in part of what he's saying he comes back to his own experience of how he came to believe now uh, Paul wasn't a good guy he, he wasn't always called Paul he used to be called Saul and he was like a rabbi of rabbis he was being trained up to be the top guy he, was, he, he, had, he had anger issues, he hated Christians, and he was responsible for the, the murder and execution of lots of Christians in, in Jerusalem. And uh, he was one day riding on the road to Damascus, and he had a, an encounter with Jesus. And he describes that encounter. And he, he, he's saying, this is what Jesus said to me. And this is from Acts chapter 26, verse 16. So this is Jesus speaking. So what do we know when Jesus is speaking? 
Red words win, but also that we need to pay attention, don't we? It's really important. Yeah? When, okay, we're doing, we're doing basic stuff this morning. So when Mark's speaking, we can snore quietly. When Jesus is speaking, we need to pay attention. So. Deep stuff today. It's deep stuff today, yeah. Rise and stand on your feet, for I, Jesus, have appeared to you for a purpose. I'm doing this for a purpose. I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things you have seen and of things in which I will appear to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I send you. So he's sending them to both Jews and Gentiles. So that's his mandate. But I want you to go back to that, that middle sentence. Because there's some really interesting things he says there that I hadn't, I hadn't noticed before until I stopped cross, started cross-reading the verses. And he says, You'll be witness to the things you've seen and also the things in which I will appear to you. Isn't that a really odd thing to say? Now, I have a brain that doesn't like odd things. So it goes and asks the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? And I want you to first see this, that there is a link between things seen and seeing Jesus in the things seen. I'll say that again. Some of you are looking shocked. There's a, a link between what is seen, the, the, whatever happens, and seeing Jesus behind or involved in what is happening. So that when we, we, we carry, release the kingdom, people actually see Jesus in operation. They see his heart and his nature and his love for them. If we accurately represent the kingdom of which we're part of, people see the Father's heart and his love towards them. They see, they see that heart of love and care and, and wanting to uh, uh, bless them. Now, so Paul says that, that, that in, in this, that the result is that Sorry, Jesus says to Paul that he would open their eyes so that it may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. So when we see Jesus in the things that come as a result of our prayer, when the kingdom manifests, it does something that removes that blindness and allows them to turn from darkness to light. They can see clearly and move from the authority and reign of Satan to the freedom and life and salvation of Jesus. And, and Paul says that, that, that in doing that, in being released from that dominion of Satan, three things happen. They, they, they get salvation, forgiveness of sins. They receive an inheritance. They become children of God. They, they inherit everything that, that God has. They become part of the that his kingdoms are seated with him as part of, of, of what we already are part of, and that 
he'll change them. He'll give them the ability to change from who they are into who they were always meant to be when God conceived of them and thought of them. And so, but you see, the key to that is seeing Jesus in what he's done. Do you, do you get that? So we, to, to affect more than just one or two people and to affect and see a, a move of God that is sustainable and is sustained, that move, according to Jesus, is always a result of supernatural things. And that's why we as a church will not compromise on going after the supernatural to do things naturally in what we could do. Because natural things are good, you know, they're not bad things, but they don't produce what Jesus is trying to produce that produces a move of God that becomes a revival and changes a city and a nation. And if you remember, we call to not disciple people, we're called to disciple nations. We've got a much bigger goal here than just reaching a few souls. Although that's good. That's part of what we're doing. But it's not the whole picture. Uh, are you with me? Now, we saw this in uh, real life. We, we saw this with our daughter, Jessica, who conveniently and excellently has left the room. <laughs> but as with... Our daughter's really bright, so her questions are uh, much more succinctly put than, than I would have put them at her age. But in her teen years and at university, Jess had things that she was thinking about with God that she couldn't reconcile. And she had all sorts of questions, and that, that made it, her, her faith struggled. And, um, and so we did what good parents did. You know, doing that sort of situation, we, we argued with her. <laughs> Told her she was wrong. <laughs> but then we also prayed. Now, those of you who know Jess will have seen a big change in her the last 18 months or so. As she was able not to get answers to every question, but to get past those questions to find Jesus on the other side of them. And the way that happened is that Jess was struggling uh, because she has uh, dyslexia and she was struggling at university and in her second year everything just really got on top of her and she didn't get the results that she wanted. And so Cheryl being Cheryl said right, when it came to her third year and finals were looming and everything was you know, kicking off, Jess was like ultra stressed and like I can't, I just can't get that volume of stuff in my head, it just isn't working. And Cheryl said, oh, well, I, I'm, going, I'm going to pray and uh, I, this is, she got more faith than me, she said, I'm going to pray and, and you're going to get, a lot of her third year was a, a big dissertation, you're going to get such a good mark in that dissertation that it's going to, you're going to get the grade you need. And when you do that, this is Cheryl, you'll know it's Jesus. <laughs> now, what actually happened was that Jess uh, did a dissertation, and it, it, I'm telling you this because it's topical, and her dissertation was about 
the pros and cons of introducing to legislation, whether it's right or wrong, uh, the subject of three parent babies, mitochondrial donation. And she researched all the science behind it, all the risks on the genetic side, the gene pool, all the rest of it, designer babies, all the stuff you've seen in the newspapers this week if you've been reading, because the first baby has been born. And I, I think it's stunning that already within those, one baby is born and already the newspapers are talking about designer babies. And Jess did her dissertation all around this, and she got this absolutely stunning mark that like, just rocketed her right to the top of the next category of degree. So much so that it was mentioned in the graduation speech of the university. This, this dissertation was held up. Uh, and I have to say, it was really good. It was brilliant. Um, and what do you think Mum did? <laughs> Said, there you go. Now, that's Jesus. And that, that made a huge transition in, Je in Jessica's life because she could see Jesus despite the fact she hadn't got an answer to every question. Do you get the point? Yeah? yeah? Jesus met her where her need was. Yes. So, any, anybody from uni, uh, get shell to pray for me. <laughs> so this guy Zacchaeus, he, he's, he's a ruthless guy. What do we do to ruthless guys? We go, yeah, he's a ruthless guy. And he doesn't just steal from people who he knows, he steals from the Romans who he works for as well. That's how he got rich. And, but he has a felt need. He's got a need in his life. Because, you see, the problem is, because of his behaviour, people hate him. And he wants to be loved. He can't expect to be loved because his behaviour is wrong. But that's what he wants. He wants to be loved, he wants to be respected. And, and he is Jesus, he's coming to town and, and he hasn't got anybody to help him or be there with him because people won't mix with him, they won't have anything to do with him. And he is Jesus coming to town. So he, the verse says, he ran ahead. He went right to the front. Now, as an official of uh, the Roman government, being a tax collector, he, he, what, what they would do then is that the official people would hold back and wait for Jesus to come to them. All the common people, the, the plebs like me, used to run to the front and be at the front, but then he'd get to the dignitaries as he, he got further into the city. So the, the people would... The, the, Authorities would wait further in the city for Jesus because, you know, people do that sort of thing. Um, and so he runs ahead. So he runs and he runs and gets himself in an area where he is mixed up physically with all these people clamoring to see Jesus, every single one of whom hates him and he's robbed. Now, he climbed a tree because he was short, but I'd have climbed the tree anyway. Because everybody hates me. And all that climbing the tree does is he puts him up in a tree and people are laughing at him, abusing him, just being terrible to him, calling him a thief, calling him, yeah, things. And, and he's there and he's feeling it. Now watch, watch what Jesus does. 
Jesus doesn't just walk ahead, turn around, <laughs> preach the gospel to the crowd, say, Zacchaeus, you're a thief, you're a robber, look what you've done to all these people, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, get down on your knees and repent, boy. And I find that really interesting. Because that's the sort of thing the church does all the time. Uh, you know, a good service is a service where everybody's weeping and feeling bad. So I think we'll move to that sort of service when we move building. Uh, what do you think? No? No? Okay. Um, that would reverse 10 years of history, wouldn't it? Um, but the point's this, that Jesus doesn't do that. And we, we need to make a leap about where we are trying to reach people because I, I believe these sort of things are the things that are stopping us seeing this nation affected by the gospel there's churches everywhere there's churches on most street corners thankfully not in the area we're moving to because it's only got new street corners but there is churches everywhere and the impact on this nation is minimal if non-existent and yet, you've got a bunch of guys who are novices and they take the whole of Jerusalem and the whole of the civilised world <laughs> in much more oppressive conditions than we have. And I think it's because they understood how the kingdom works and we have our own ideas about how it should work. And the two aren't necessarily the same. So Jesus comes up to him and he, and he meets this guy who is hated but wants, just really craves to be loved and respected. And what does he do? He looks up at him in the middle of everybody who hates him, who's been shouting at him, abusing him, and he says, I'm coming to your house tonight. I'm going to eat with you. Isn't that an odd thing to say? You see, this is the point, and I hope you get it. That there is a spirit in operation in our lives and it's called a religious spirit and it stops us accepting unbelievers, sinners for what they are sinners not with judgement, we're not judging it's who they are there isn't another type of person who's an unbeliever but the point is this, we accept them for who they are because we love them like Christ loved them when he first came. And we accept them because right at that moment, they can't do anything about who they are. Only God can do something about that. And so instead of pulling back, we go towards You see, when we pull back and pull away, it's on a false assumption that somehow we're better than them and we need to preserve the fact we're better than them without getting tarnished. Now that's a false assumption. Because we aren't. You see, you strip away Jesus from us, what are you left with? What are you left with? 
exactly the same as them. So the only difference between us and them is Jesus. So it's not us, it's him. We ain't got any credit here, guys. Without Jesus, we're exactly the same. So what we do in judging, and what we do in pulling away, and going, oh, I can't mix with you in case I get tarnished. Oh, what if a spirit comes on me? Oh, oh, anything like that. Red words win. You don't see Jesus doing any of that. You see him loving people for what they are, sinners. And loving them in a way that they can see God so that they can get a new heart and he can be with them and make the same difference as he's made in our lives. I'm done there. But for me in my heart, that's huge. And I don't know if I've communicated it well, but that's huge. We don't have to approve, but we do have to accept and love. So let's, let's stand and let's pray.